Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. So in today's episode, ladies, we have Angela Healy. She is the co-founder and CEO of Avenue West Managed Corporate Housing. What I think you're going to get so much out of today's episode is that we really dive into corporate housing as a niche, why corporate housing, how to get started in this niche, different you know, statistics around it, how it differs from short-term rentals and everything in between. Uh, you really get a good sense of this niche and, and whether or not something you should explore for your own investing goals. Hey guys, it's Liz. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to remind you that time is running out and you have four weeks left to get your ticket to InvestorCon 2024, the number one premier conference for women in real estate. It's happening from June 2nd to 4th in Austin, Texas. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit investhercon.com today and use the code 100podcast to get $100 off your ticket. That's investhercon.com and use the promo code 100 podcast to get $100 off your ticket. Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz. Hi, I'm Stephanie. Excited to have you back on the Real Estate Investor Show, where our mission is to empower women to live a financially free and balanced life. That's what we, we stand for. And I, I have a special guest host with me here, Stephanie. I'm going to introduce her here in a moment. I want to say hello to our guest here today, Angela Healy. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about this. Yeah, super pumped. I always think about myself and I think about what I want to learn about. No, I'm joking. But I'm really excited to have Angela on. We're really excited because she's me talking about corporate housing as an investment niche and uh, something for us all to be mindful of and what's what's happening with that particular niche and strategy, especially with everything going on and the economy. So excited to jump into that in a moment. But yes, I have Stephanie here. I have my, my partner in crime undressed is not here today, obviously, but I have Miss Stephanie Vetters with me and excited to have you introduce yourself very quickly to our lovely listeners and community. So, and Stephanie, when did you and I meet? We met about four years ago. We were on a couple, I don't know, roundtables together. And you and I just had like really good banters together. So as we're having some guest hosts occasionally on our podcast, I invited Stephanie to join me today. So yeah, please welcome, please welcome Stephanie and Stephanie share a little bit about you. Hey, thank you so much for having me back. I'm so excited to be here in this capacity as a guest co-host. So quick, quick and dirty on me, real estate investor in Charlotte, North Carolina. My husband and I started that business in 2014, merged in 2018 with a third partner. Um, we do wholesaling and new builds is our primary business in the real estate side. About 200-ish deals a year between the two of those verticals. I also do syndication with large multifamily, and I have a marketing company that kind of sprung off of our real estate company and a CRM company, Left Main, that sprung off of our real estate company. So nowadays, you know, I kind of consult and I'm in the owner's box of our real estate investment company that's been kind of systemized and we have a wonderful team there. And I, sp and I consult in our marketing company that's also systemized and has a team there. And I spend most of my day operationally with Left Main, growing that company and hopefully getting that to the same place the other two are. So I do a little bit of all those things and uh, look for more deals to syndicate and always looking to learn. You're a busy lady. <laughs> she is. <laughs> wow. Listening to all what you're saying, I'm like, that's a lot. You know, that that's exactly why we've created this community, right? <laughs> 
I love it. No, it's great. And she, we interviewed Stephanie. We had such a great interview with her about turning problems into opportunities. The show 222. She's also been twice on the Bigger Pockets business podcast as on episode 80. And she's also been on the, the real estate podcast, which is 559. So check those out. She is a terrific and she'll be riding, you know, as, as my, as my co-host here today, excited about that. And, and just real quick, before we get into Angela and her story, we do like to get connected to all of you. And we know that you have a busy life, busy schedule. And we just like to share one very quick tip with you to bring into your day. So, so Stephanie, this past weekend, I went to a festival and if those are not in the Northeast, it has just been a cold and dreary April. It's been cold and you, you get, you gotten one nice day. It's like, it's like amazing, but overall it's been a pretty dreary April and, and it's been closer to like in the fifties than the seventies. So weather-wise, you know, festivals have been problematic. So I went to go see my brother-in-law. He plays in a band and he was like the big, the big band that, that, that was going to be, you know, showcasing at this festival in Maryland this past weekend. So we get there and it's like pouring, pouring out, you know, it's pouring. It's like 54. It's just like not festival weather. Right. So we hunkered down at a restaurant, which was great for a little bit, but then we wanted to go see my brother-in-law. So we went there. We didn't know what to expect, but we saw the band, which was like eight people in the band up on, you know, obviously they had covering and they invited all the people that did listen to them, which was probably like 10 people because who wants to be in a festival with 50 degree weather? We're up on the, like, sort of the stage with them, if you will. And they were rocking it out. They're all dancing. It's like a blues, jazzy type of band. And and I just sat back and everyone that was there was small. And it was like, everyone was just like crammed together around the band. I was like, and it's pouring out. Literally, the weather couldn't have been any worse. And everyone, you could you couldn't even know the weather was happening because this little community group, the band was into it. Like, not that I see a lot of bands, but this band was really like present, you know, and they could not, they could have not been, right? Because it wasn't what they expected. It just reminded me of like, we expect something, right? We expect something to look a certain way and it's not so we make it bad or not good versus making the best of it. And everyone had fun. I danced with my son. I danced with my daughter. They just still want to hang out with me because they're five and eight, but it's just cute, right? It's just, it really reminded me of like, wow, here's a band playing their hearts out. There are 10 people who are watching them are just so excited about being here. And you wouldn't have really worried about the fact that no one else is in the crowd, right? So just a quick little story. So we, in our investing, that's going to happen. What we think is going to happen doesn't always, you know, happen. So be mindful of what you bring, bring to it, right? It's not just, it's not just the, the weather and what you can't control. What can you control? So I don't know if you've seen that too in your world, Stephanie, but we only can control how much. It's powerful. I think really how you describe something to yourself is what becomes reality. You know, you'd be like, oh, this is the worst, it's raining. Or you'd be like, you know, oh, great, we have, we have a group together. You know, I mean, it's really just how you control your own narrative of what's happened to you. Controlling um, your own narrative. It's a great way, great way to say it. Great way to say it. So bring that into your world, ladies. Uh, without further ado, Angela, thank you so much again for being on. So excited to get into your story in terms of where it all began for you. So if you can share, share with us and the listeners a little bit about your journey, where it began in terms of, you know, especially with this corporate housing niche. So if you could share a little bit about how that all began for you, that'd be great. Sure. So I was exposed to real estate at a very young age. My parents had rental properties. That's kind of how they put all four of, our, of their kids through college. And I helped my parents very young do maintenance on the properties, you know, clean, do whatever I could as, as a child to learn all about what they were doing. 
And my parents, they didn't have a lot of money, but they were able to kind of put these rental properties together and then invest in the next one and the next one. And I really saw the opportunity there to grow your wealth without, I mean, it was a ton of work, obviously, because they were doing it all themselves. And so I went off to college and moved to San Francisco and was living in the Bay Area when I bought my first piece of real estate at 24. And I lived in it for about six months when an opportunity came up and a friend of mine said, hey, do you like living in this property? Because I could really rent this as a corporate rental and you could make considerable money off of this. And I was all game. I was like, oh, that's kind of how my parents did it. So let me move out. I moved into an apartment and turned the property into a corporate rental. And it did very well. And so I just had that property there for a little while. I was in banking, um, was doing commercial lending, kind of moved all over the country and then had the opportunity to move to Denver and join a company that was doing this fully furnished corporate rentals. And that's kind of how it got started. I got introduced to it that way in California and then um, kind of never looked back because it really is an interesting niche within the real estate market. And I look forward to talking a little bit more about that as we go. Yeah, I love that. Love that property in the Bay Area? I don't. I did end up selling it at the height of the market right before the 2008 crash. And for like three or four years, it was still the highest sale in that building in San Francisco. And, and then of course the market took off again. So now it's worth, you know, two or three times what I sold it for. So should have held on to it for the long run, but it felt good at the moment. Yeah, doesn't that happen all the time that we we drove past a community that we had sold a property that was really where we got our start, house hacking. And and you know, and it's so developed now. We're like, oh, you know, hindsight's always 2020, but yeah. but it got us into to a different market. So so let's let's start talking a little bit about what this, you know, corporate rentals, corporate housing niche looks like. You know, a lot of the women listening might be in multifamily, right? Because multifamily is you know, so many small multi, large multi, you got short-term rentals, vacation rentals, uh, flipping, wholesaling. There's so many different sort of niches, self-storage. So tell me a little bit about this particular niche, how it's different, how it's similar, if you can, and, and then we'll, we'll dive into more. So just like if you're a stockbroker and you tell your clients, you should diversify your portfolio. You should have stocks, you should have bonds, you know, all the different pieces. The same is true in real estate. A lot of people invest in the exact same thing over and over again because they have a recipe for success and they stick with it. The problem is, is if there's a downturn in that particular segment or maybe it's an area, maybe it's a type of product, you're susceptible to your entire portfolio being in that niche. So what corporate housing is, it's fully furnished rentals, kind of like an Airbnb, you're going to have a pretty standard list of what needs to be included, but it's 30 plus day stays. So you don't have the nightlies where people are having parties in your property or, you know, maybe they're cramming 20 people into a two bedroom property. You don't have those nightmares. And then you don't have the unfurnished nightmares. Like one of our franchisees, she joined us because her very last property she did unfurnished they broke every window in the house. I mean, it was just kind of the biggest nightmare that she'd ever had. And she was so tired of unfurnished that she's like, I need to look, she was ready to get out of real estate altogether. And she's like, I need to look for a different avenue. 
And corporate housing is kind of that sweet spot in between the two. So you get the benefit of a higher rental rate than you would unfurnished, but you don't have all the pains of dealing with the nightlies, the, you know, the unfurnished tenants not treating your property well. So because the corporations are renting the properties for their employees or consultants coming in on assignment, people aren't doing anything to the corporate apartment that will make them get disciplined at work. So they really treat the properties nice and the wear and tear on the property is a lot less than either end of the spectrum. So it's kind of that sweet spot in between where you get the nice rental rate, but you don't necessarily deal with all the maintenance and turnover. You know, do I have to paint after every tenant? So then is, does that mean that your client is the corporation? It is. How so foster those relationships and find those connections? So we've been in this business for 22 years. And so we've been working to develop those relationships with the corporations. And traditionally, the corporations might work with another corporate housing company that is renting apartments and putting in rental furniture. So we're providing a slightly different product than our competition in that we're a real estate agency. We're managing other people's properties on their behalf. And we're putting our corporate clients into homes, townhomes, condos. So much less transient environment, usually bigger spaces. And with the homes, you could even have yards versus being in the apartment complex. So the companies that we work with really like the product that we're offering. And then the investors that we work with that own the properties get the opportunity to rent to corporations, Apple, Microsoft, you know, you, you name it, we're working with them. And it's really connecting the two together, whereas as an individual investor, you might not be able to work with them because, you know, Apple isn't going to come to you and say, oh, you have one property? Okay, let me put my one, you know, they're looking for a hundred properties. So to work with a company like ours, you're able to, we're able to match you with those great tenants. That's interesting. Okay. So now that makes me ask, like, I have like 50 questions that literally popped in my head at the same time. (laughs) That's how my mind works, which you don't even want to be there because that's, you know, that's how my mind works. <laughs> so what, but the first thought though is, okay, so you're working with investors. Do they, do they own, do they go in and own the property themselves or do you, do you own, they, so they, they're the sole owner of that single family house. Got Absolutely. it. And so then they work with you to what, furnish it and you guys then manage it for them. So you're basically the property manager of that prop of that property? Are you almost like a consultant to them or what's, what did that look like that relationship? Yeah, we, we are the real estate property manager and, um, they do put the furnishings in, but it's based on our specs. So the corporations like the fact that all of our properties are unique and individual, but then they have to meet certain standards. Like you have to have certain TVs and, you know, Mm. dressers and different things to, to make the home feel like a fully contained unit, but then not so much stuff. Like it can't be like go into an Airbnb and it's someone's primary residence and they have all their personal photos everywhere. So it has to be more like a hotel from that perspective in that it's exactly what you need, not too much, not too little. And then we've got all those guidelines of what, what needs to be in the property. We do offer a service to help furnish the property for investors. So if they're not in our area and they're not here to procure all of that inventory, we can help with that for a fee. But then it's exactly like we need to have it. And then 
it's just a matter of marketing it then to those corporations. Makes sense. How did COVID, like what are the challenges to this and how did COVID create, I'm sure, you know, that, that only could have made it harder, I would imagine, but I'm totally speaking, you know, from, from my knowledge base, how did that impact, you know, corporate housing and how do you see it now in terms of, you know, the, the economic landscape of people talking about a looming recession and interest rates going up and just a little more fear out there right now, right? It's not like, and then like the whole layer, not just the economics of it, but certainly of the pieces of working from home. Yeah. So what, what have you seen? Great questions. So first when COVID hit, obviously we all took a deep breath because corporations were recalling all their employees home. The nice thing about the franchise that we have, the network of real estate agents across the country is we were all experiencing that same episode at the same time. And so we were able to work together to kind of adapt the model. And what we found was the same type of people were relocating themselves. They were getting out of LA, you know, all the big cities where COVID was really rampant, where most of our franchises are in kind of a second tier city. So we became the destination of choice for these people kind of fleeing from the hotspots. And so we're able to adapt the model. So even though they weren't the corporation signing the lease, they were still executives. And so we were able to fill the properties that way. And now we're seeing corporate travel come back in. And yes, people are working from home, but they're also taking the opportunity to say, okay, I don't have to physically live in the Silicon Valley area, but I'm working for Apple. Where could I go now? And they're taking their family unit and they're traveling and living in a particular city for a month or two, and then going and trying another city. So we're seeing some of that happen. And then also before COVID, 70% of our properties were one bedroom properties because one person from the family unit was coming on assignment and working and then going home on the weekends. Now what we're seeing is the family unit is actually traveling with the person on assignment. And while they might not be in the office five days a week, they are there some, so they need to be in the city, but then they're working from home. So things like desk space, is there an office in the property? Is there enough space for my children to be here with me as well? So we're seeing a significant increase in the amount of single family homes being requested. So our inventory is now over 15% single family homes, which is great for the average investor because if you were able to rent that single family home for 2000 or something like that, where we're renting it for 6000 So even though you might be paying a little bit more on our management fee, you're still cash flowing a higher amount than you would on an unfurnished basis. And not every property is good for corporate housing. So you really want to talk to someone who knows what the corporations are looking for, where they want to be. They want to be very close to where they're working or in you know, really nice areas. It can't just be, oh, you know, someone's putting up these $150,000 homes over here. Let me just go grab a couple of these really cheap homes. If they're going to be paying $6,000 a month, they want the nice upgrades. They want it to be furnished well. So it has to be that full package and maybe only 10% of inventory would qualify for a good corporate rental. Why is that? It's mainly because of the they want the finishes that, you know, if you're paying top dollar for the property, you're paying $6,000 or I even have some properties, like I've got one in California, it's $11,000 a month renting it corporate. 
So if someone's going to be shoveling out that kind of money, they're looking for the best of the best. They're looking for the Ritz-Carlton of corporate housing. So you need to be able to provide that product. And if something happens in the product while they're staying there, it, it needs to be repaired quickly. So that's why partnering with a company like ours, where we can meet those demands of the corporation, you know, and, and sometimes it's, it's stupid stuff, like the light bulb went out in the bathroom, but we we know that that's what our corporations require. And we're out there immediately to do it or heaven forbid the internet goes out. Now that is, you know, it would might as well be a fire. So, <laughs> so, you know, so there's certain things that we know that the corporations are sensitive to and, and we'll get out there and we'll repair the property as quickly as possible. This is really interesting because, you know, it makes sense that corporations are now looking for larger properties, right? When I think, I first thought when I think about corporate housing is I think like a really kind of deluxe, a condo, like one bedroom, like you're describing where I can just go be in like a really nice location then go to the office and come back and then go home, right? So now that the things are shifting to where the family unit is coming, I'm kind of thinking this may result in an additional exit strategy for people who are in that Airbnb world. Are you seeing people convert, you know, the short-term housing into corporate housing because it's maybe a little more stable or? Yes. And the main reason is they just get tired or burnt out. You know, they're handling the flips every three days, you know, or whatever it might be, or dealing with the aftermath of a party that was at the property. And it's a lot of wear. And we want to work smart, not, I mean, you're going to work hard, but how do you also work smart so that you're not burning yourself out, that you're able to provide and, and get that next property and the next property and the next property. Whereas if you're doing Airbnbs nightly, unless you have a team helping you, you know, if you're doing it yourself, you're going to get to the point where you get tired and burnt out of doing it all the time. So even though our stays are 30 plus days, our average stay is 99 days. So we're turning the property maybe four, maybe five times a year, not like an Airbnb where you're turning it, you know, four or five times every, what, two weeks, three weeks. So it, it's being a lot smarter with your investment. Very interesting. So I'm thinking about a couple of different things and just what are the downfalls? Meaning like, so I'm in, I have a short-term rental and I'm not a short-term rental investor myself. So again, please bear with me. I'm a more of a multifamily long-term hold investor. And that's, that's our business. When you have somebody who's doing short-term rentals though, they have two choices, right? They can either manage it themselves, which people do. They put apps in place. They have, you know, they have different cleaning service in place. And it's, a, there's a lot of tech to help. Yes. Or they have a property manager, right? And some of these property managers can, you know, charge a 20%. I've heard, I've heard all kinds of numbers. In multifamily, that would be unheard of, right? A car property manager is charging us 10, 20%. But there's more wear and tear. There's more, you know, there's more uh, uh, concierge, right? Yes. You know, so I get that. I don't mean to dismiss that at all. So they either have the choice to do it themselves or to outsource it. And that's a choice that a lot of, you know, more of the short-term rental investors have to kind of make, if you will. On the corporate housing side, I don't, is there an option if they didn't want to opt in to like, to what you're saying makes sense. Like why would an Apple go to, you know, Susie, that's always my name when I have to make up a name, but uh, why would they go to Susie and say, oh, what, you know, or could they find a smaller company? So is, could it be more mom and pop or they end up working with a property manager that does corporate housing? Is it, is a mix or is it really like yeah. if you're in corporate housing, you kind of 80% really go with a more of a conglomerate. So you have that buying power and there's just, it makes just sense. Or can you just go rogue and do it on your own? I guess that's where my thought is of sure. why we don't see a lot of the smaller investors, if you will, talking about this. So, I, and I was curious if that's the reason. 
So there is a website called Corporate Housing by Owner where you can kind of do it yourself and advertise on their website. And certainly, you know, like I said, we're looking at properties that only about 10% will qualify. That doesn't mean that there aren't smaller companies or maybe someone is selling a home and buy and building a new home and the new home isn't ready yet and they just need a short-term accommodation. So there are other reasons we also get grandparents coming in that want to be near the grandbaby but don't want to live in the house with the grandbaby and and so there are medical reasons people you know need to be near a hospital so there can be pockets of areas where you can certainly do it yourself the higher dollar number for that same piece of property is always going to be the larger corporations that will pay that higher dollar number so yes, you might be able to do it, but you might be able to do it at a level that's like 4,000, or maybe we could do it at a level that's like 6,000. So even though you might be paying our percentage, you could still be cash flowing better. Now you had asked about the downside scenario. So multifamily get rent on the first of every month from all of your tenants, and it's very consistent. Corporate housing, we look at an 80% occupancy. So you might not get revenue in every single month of the year, but on an annual basis, you'll get more revenue than you would unfurnished. So if you're unable to deal with those ebbs and flows of the cash, corporate housing is not for you. And some people, even though they could have the financial wealth to deal with the ebbs and flows, it just doesn't sit well with them. They want money every single month. And, and so it's not right for them either. So some of it is the person that owns the property. Some of it is the property itself. And then, you know, just kind of balancing that between what really works for you. And same with the stock market, you know, maybe, you know, if you're getting close to retirement and buying that tech stock, that's more of a, you know, 10 year play, that's not your play right now, because that's not who you are and where you are in your life, in your life area. So, yeah. And I guess that's the other question is, you know, I think about short-term rentals, right? They have AirDNA, they have all these different places you can start to analyze, right? Like how do you conservatively underwrite? It's certainly tough, I think, for long-term and long-term rental investors going to short-term because it's like, hold on, what's going on here? It's not as consistent to your point. So, but to your point, to, just to add on to that, you know, 80% occupancy. Okay. And then, so then the next question is, do you or other companies like yours you know, help with the analysis of these properties for investors would be my next question. Because obviously there's going to be people who want to do things on their own. And then there's other people like, that would be awesome if there's a company who can help me do X, Y, and Z. And they're going to charge me accordingly, of course. But if I can do, if you know that, and I don't need to know that, then that might be an opportunity for certainly the passive investors, the more passive or passive investors listening right now. So what does that look like, you know, in terms of underwriting and just kind of analysis? Because that could be a whole new world to someone who's been underwriting fourplexes versus yes. corporate housing rental. And we do, we, we've got our spreadsheets. Um, we factor in our rental rate. We show you what the long-term rental rate would look like so that you can compare the two side by side. And see, cause you're gonna have additional costs associated with the property as a furnished versus unfurnished because you're paying the utilities, you're paying you know cable, you're paying for internet. Where on the unfurnished basis, you're not paying for that at all. And then, so we run the two numbers side by side so you can see them. And then if you provide us information, like how much you're putting down, things like that, then we can get you all the way down to the ROI. But if you don't want to provide that, then it just gets you down to the annual cash flow. So 
how would one start? Because, you know, when, when I'm looking, even the short-term rental versus the rental acquisition or property acquisition, we're always looking at comps, right? Like, how do I even like, where do I even start? It sounds like companies like you are the ones who hold the data, right? Like I can't, individual <laughs> just go and be like, what does corporate housing run in this area, right? I don't have access to that. So yeah. before I come to you with a property for you to analyze and like start this conversation and invest the time on both sides, what kind of characteristics are we looking for? Like what are high level items or indicators that this could be a good fit for corporate housing? And then how do we compare that and feel secure in those returns based on properties around it? So really thinking about who the end user is going to be. So if you're in a particular area and there are certain number of corporations that are headquartered there, you know, who's going to be using my product and how close am I to that product? So you can certainly do a one bedroom condo. That's still a very desired property it, that hasn't gone away at all, but you can also do it all the way to single family homes now. And really, if you, if you look at your particular area and you say, okay, what's going on? Is there construction going on? Do I have, is there a hospital nearby? What is nearby of what's driving your city's commerce and really getting a feel and a sense for that and then deciding, okay, if you invest in a particular, say you do a condo building downtown, you want to start small and you want to just get a one bedroom and you look at a particular condo building downtown, what amenities does it have? Does it have a 24 hour dormant? Does it have a pool? Does it have a workout facility? And most importantly, does this community allow me to rent on a 30 plus day stay? Because about half the condos out there might have a six month or 12 month minimum. And those communities are missing out on a huge piece of income, but they're also, they don't want Airbnbs in their property. So they think they have to go all the way to the other extreme. But so if you're looking for those particular characteristics, or if you have a single family home that's in the best school district in the area. Um, if someone's relocating to the area, they may need temporary housing in that school district to get their child started while they look for the home that they want to purchase in that school district. So school districts can be a big piece. Um, you know, what are the amenities around it? So like I live in Highlands Ranch, Colorado, and we've got great schools around us, but then we also have very good rec centers, things for the, for the children to do. So really looking at the community and assessing it that way. Yes, we did have an over numbers, you know, like, you know, metro areas in general, relatively busy. There's, there's a play, I think for anything, right. There's a hospital, if there's headquarters nearby for a corporate area, bank, et cetera. But how do I analyze that from a financial standpoint? Like, let's consider the situation of like a one-bedroom condo, very close, has all the amenities, checks all the boxes as far as requirements in that sense, and I can have 30-day rentals. How do I get a, an idea of what I could even bring in for rent? Just so it kind of passes a sniff test before I would bring it to you and say, hey, I think this will work, you know? Yeah, it is hard because we're part of the Corporate Housing Providers Association where everyone contributes their data. So we do have all the data on every city. What is the high and low of a one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom? And we're able to provide those numbers to our investors. But then more specifically, if we're in that market, we like in Denver, I've got a hundred fully furnished units. I know exactly what I'm gonna be able to get for my one, twos and threes or the house. You know, so partnering with someone who knows obviously will give you quite a bit of information ahead of time. But if you look at 
what people are getting for Airbnbs on a monthly basis, you know, when they actually calculate their their discount that they provide on a monthly. Now, some people don't give discounts for monthlies because they don't want them. So you need to take them out of the equation. Maybe it's okay to come to you earlier in the equation, but okay, definitely. If I look at the Airbnb for the monthly rate, well, how does that compare? Is that higher than corporate? About the same? Where, how kind of conclusion could I draw on that? Yeah, as long as they're giving a monthly discount and they're actually renting it monthly, it should be relatively comparable. Now, is that comparable to my customers or customers that you might be able to get yourselves? That is a very different question or would have a very different answer to it. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, in general, I'm, I'm just thinking about the markets that, that we invest in for multifamily. Our focus is like class C assets where we really are dilapidated buildings, renovate them, you know, and, and to improve our income. And so, you know, takes care of the, the, the tenants, the area, and obviously our investors. Not the same areas always, and it's workforce housing, right? Not the same areas as what you're saying, right? Where a right. corporate executive for Apple is going to want to be. So I, I totally get that. Yeah. I get that very clearly. But my, I guess my next question would be, even the, my, when then my thought goes to what are those more class A, you know, areas that where school districts are to the top and, you know, those sort of things, there's more new construction happening. And, but then my thought, then sub kind of thought goes to, are there markets, are there those, you're saying secondary markets that, that could be, they actually have both, right? They have workforce housing and they do have more luxury living. There are a lot of areas like that. We all know. So have you seen a trend where people are definitely doing so much investing in the Southeast? We're from the Northeast, me and my husband, and we got our start in New Jersey. And obviously we've not grown our business just staying in New Jersey, right? Playing out a shocker, me saying that we moved more to Pennsylvania and then we moved to the South, Kentucky, North Carolina is where we're buying a lot of our assets just because the numbers make more sense yeah. than, than New Jersey. So do, are you seeing the same thing? Meaning, are you seeing people take these markets that are booming Florida, Texas, these are booming markets in, in a lot of ways still um, where people are flocking, they're moving to still. Is it aligned with corporate housing or or not? I'm just, it does. Okay, I yeah, think it but, does, but I'm just curious to get your insight into that. Yeah, anywhere people are moving to. So if you see okay. articles where they say, these are the top 10 cities where people are moving, change is good for corporate housing. So people coming and going and all of that creates the demand. But like, so I'm here in Denver and obviously our prices have significantly increased. And then our Raleigh office sent me this property, you know, that she's talking about $200,000. And I'm just like, where, where are you finding something for $200,000? And, you know, and then with her rental rates of renting it for $3,750. And I'm just like, wow, those numbers really make sense right away. I can see why you want someone to purchase this property. And, you know, so it's nice having our franchise network when we get an investor into our system. And they're like, okay, where else can we get an ROI that meets this rate? And then we just, you know, are looking for those deals in our areas where we can get our investors those rates. And then we're kind of funneling them through and saying, hey, is anyone interested? We've got this package deal and we send, you know, everything with it. And included in, in that Raleigh package that just went out, it was actually in Durham. And, you know, and they're like, okay, we're going to do this amount of upgrades to the property to make it exactly what, like we, what we need. And so that was even included in the scenario and the purchasing the furniture there, they have furniture contacts to do that. So it'd be kind of an all in package where the investor comes in and, and makes that investment. 
that's almost like a turnkey too, which is a great strategy for a lot of people, you know, as active investors, like we want to all sometimes do it all ourselves, right? And we think- Well, you can make more. You make more it, doing it yourself. Possibly, possibly. Sometimes yeah. I don't. True. <laughs> you know, it all depends. But I think depending on, and I always say this to people, like so many of the folks that, you know, are part of our community will say, oh, should I get into short-term rentals? And should I do this? And is it a good time to buy? Because of interest rates rising. And it's like, hold on, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> like, what are your goals? You know, and yeah. my goals as a 20 something year old, when I bought, when we bought our first property, so different now in my forties, right? Because yeah. my lifestyle has shifted. My goals have, have evolved. My time, right? My time, time is not on my side as much as it was when we started. So, so where one thing turnkey and, and more of a white glove project would have been like, no way we're doing that in my twenties. Now I'm like, that's the kind of stuff I'm looking to do more of, right? And, and yeah. where we are in our, but we have an active business. We're actively syndicating. But on the other side, as we have wins, right? We're looking to do more passive yeah. investments. So and I think it just depends on people's goals. And I think people need to be open to these strategies, you know? Yeah. And we find that with our investors all the time. So, you know, we don't just have investors that have hundreds of units. A lot of people, you know, it's one property. This is their one rental that they wanted to do. And whether it was a property that they had. So a lot of times we have younger people who are now moving into a house, but they don't want to sell the condo. So, and they also, you know, want to leave it furnished. So we're picking up that property from them. The other piece, uh, we found people getting married and suddenly they have two houses. And why sell that second one when you can turn that into a furnished rental? Keep your real estate. Don't think firsthand to sell it. Your real estate is going to be your your largest asset at the end at the end of your life. So, don't get into something and think, "Oh, I need to sell this one." Think, what other opportunity could we have for this? And then we also have investors that are like, "Okay, I would like to have a property in this city because I want to go and visit this time of year." But then the rest of the year, I don't want to be there. So let me rent that corporately because then it will come vacant again when it's time for me to come back. So they get the right to use the property as well. So another piece that is really attractive for investors. Yeah, it's that, it's that flexibility. In terms of regulations, just where, where does one start on that? Meaning, you know, obviously we're very, I'm very aware that there are a lot of, you know, short-term rental regulations and what areas are going to be more advantageous for, for that type of strategy than others. And you have to be mindful of that. So is it fair to say that if, if, if there's regulations that are kind of pro short-term rentals, it would be the same for corporate housing or could those two things be very different in a they particular could, market? They could be very different. So okay. the Corporate Housing Providers Association was doing a very good job of trying to meet with legislators and explaining to them the difference of what we're offering versus the Airbnb. Because cities spend so much money on economic development and trying to convince corporations to move their headquarters to their areas. But then they forget the fact that, okay, these corporations are going to need to relocate a bunch of employees and they're going to need these 30 plus day stays. So don't put us in the bracket with these nightly Airbnbs. And we have won some really good lawsuit, not, not lawsuits, that's not the right, but kind of change in legislation to affect our industry to make sure that we're able to still continue to do what we do. And, but then you do get on the flip side, like we had a really great building in downtown Denver that people were breaking the rules and doing nightly Airbnbs. So they went on the offensive and said, okay, we're now a 90 day minimum. 
and it took us out of that building, which was hard mm. because we had some properties in the buildings. And then those investors were stuck with what their HOA just did to them. You know, it, it's stuff def- you definitely have to watch it and you need to make sure that you're abiding by the rules such that they don't think you're doing the nightly Airbnbs. We work very closely with our key buildings to make sure that the HOA knows exactly what we're doing, that we're within the bylaws. And we're feeding them that information that they feel they need so that they know we're above board and we are doing what they want us to do. And I think, I guess, to your point, having, you're never going to know 100% proof, right, that what the regulations are going to be in six months, 12 months, no one can tell. We all wish we knew, but at the end of the day, things sometimes are not in our control. But are there certain, are there certain signs, like I know for, for other niches, right, that might say, well, if there's no regulations, that, that could be problematic because then they, have, they, they haven't even looked at it. Is it the same thing here versus meaning like with HOAs, if they've never considered corporate housing, is that like a red flag or could that be a red flag just to, as, as we navigate properties and wanting to talk to HOA with so, regulations? So the nice thing about our clients is we're not bringing furniture in and out and people are just coming in with their suitcase and they're corporate executives. So they, they tend to blend in to the type of people that you, you are already seeing in the building. So if there's no regulation, there's a high likelihood that they'll never even notice what you're doing. But then on the, on the flip side, if there is someone else in the building that is, you know, abusing it and doing it nightly, it can, it can backfire on you. Got it. Interesting. Interesting stuff. I really appreciate all the insight, Angela. Where can the ladies listening learn more about you? Our website is avenuewest.com. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. So check us out there. And we're currently in 15 cities across the country. And we're looking to double that to 30 in the next five years. So just really trying to get into all of those, you know, great cities. Second tier cities is our primary focus and grow our footprint. Very cool. All that. And, and all that will be in the show notes. But now, Stephanie, we have our fabulous What has been the most transformational book you've ever read? I like Richard Carlson's Don't Sweat the Small Stuff and It's All Small Stuff. If you think about what we do in corporate housing, like we have checklists of, you know, it's a 150 point checklist of every single property, every time someone moves in and out. And we just have all of these things that have to happen between every reservation. And, you know, and so that can be a little overwhelming um, when you start to manage a hundred properties with all of these things that have to go right. And so I found early on that if I'm not stressing over, I mean, I'm going to make sure it's right, but I don't need to be stressing over it all the time. So that's great. What is your more, most powerful daily routine that helps you balance your business with your personal life? So my husband and I, we have twin eight-year-olds and we took the opportunity to job share. We, we own this business together. We took the opportunity to job share early on so that our children didn't have to go through daycare. And one of the things that we still do to this day is we both drop them off at school every morning. We both pick them up. We really try to make our work in between school time and then maybe at night when they go to bed, if we have follow-up stuff to do. But being there for them and making sure, what are we all doing this for? We're doing this for our families. And if you're working so hard that you miss them growing up, then then you're going to blink one day and they're going to be 30 and you're going to miss it. So it's really powerful. Simple routine like that with each other is goes a long way. Love that. Which women, famous or not, 
has inspired you the most? My mother is by far my biggest inspiration. I lost her a little over a year ago, but just the way that she raised all four of, of her children and tried to instill, you know, the values that she gave us was was just amazing. And, you know, there was a point in our lives growing up where, you know, my mom didn't have two cents to rub together. And yet she figured out a way to make us feel like we had everything. And it was mainly, you know, just the love and caring that she was giving to us because it didn't matter that, you know, my toy was something else than somebody else's. I knew that I had my mother's love and that that really is very powerful to me. And I'm, I'm hoping that I'm living up to her and instilling that in my children too. Wow. That's great. It's uh very, sounds like an inspirational woman. So, you know, sorry, you lost her about a year ago. Um, but those lessons continue, right? I guess that's the, the beauty of the circle of life, which is, which is amazing. Thank you so much, Angela, for being on our show. Thanks so Thank much for you. sharing all your wisdom and in, in, in this important niche of corporate housing and gotten our wheels turning. So, so thanks for being on and best of luck with everything. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share it with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.